Is your parenting journey turning out differently than you imagined? It's never too late to begin your family's transformation journey. Welcome to the Adoption Wise Podcast, formerly the Adoption Connection Podcast, where you'll rediscover the confident and connected parent you long to be. I'm Lisa C. Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hey friends, well, we are super excited to bring you this episode. Often we'll get DMs, emails, posts to our Facebook group that goes something like, we need hope. Can Is there anyone out there who has overcome block care or does this get better? Lots of those types of themes. And so we just thought we would love to have folks on who are on the journey of reclaiming compassion, have seen the light at the end of the tunnel, have kind of success stories, transformation stories, if you will, that you can refer back to when you're feeling really, really at the end. And just remember like reclaiming compassion is possible. Hope is possible. Joy is possible. So we're excited to bring you our first transformation story. Welcome, Angela. Hi, I am Angela Costin. I am an adoptive mom, a foster mom, the executive director of a nonprofit called For the Sake of One. So we wrap around foster and adoptive communities or caregivers. It has just, it has been a journey for me, ups and downs. Can you tell us just a little bit about like who makes up your family in as much or as little detail as you want? <laughs> yes. So I have a 11-year-old son who was our first foster baby. We got into fostering to foster school-age kids only. And my husband and I are both teachers. And then our first placement was a two-day-old baby who is now my 11-year-old son. And then I have, we fostered for seven years. Then I have a biological son who is eight, a biological son who is five. And most recently in September, we added a 17 year old foster son who we've known for 10 years. And we'll, we don't know for sure if that's going to adoption or not, just because he's so old. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but he's a permanent part of our family too. I think a lot of us have stories where we kind of have kids who may not be legally adopted, but we've kind of folded in <laughs> to our family. So let's back up. We asked this at the beginning of Reclaim Compassion in our book. What were some of your like expectations going into parenthood or maybe even going into foster care? And maybe how have those panned out or what has been different? Well, since our first baby came home, we, our first foray into parenting was fostering a two day old baby when we had planned for school age kids. And so that was a craziness of trying to get baby stuff together in those like first, that first week. We expected, I mean, even though we had the foster parent training, it's not super in depth. And so we were like, oh, he's a baby. He'll be fine. No issues. Then got kicked out of daycare for biting on his second birthday because I was a bilingual teacher. And so I had these grandiose plans that for the first two years of his life, I only spoke to him in Spanish. My husband only spoke to him in English because we were going to make him a bilingual baby. And then after he got kicked out of daycare for biting, we had a speech evaluation because we thought he was just frustrated with speech. 
And they suggested an OT evaluation also, and that led to a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder and a speech delay and told me I had to stick to one language. So none of my kids are bilingual now. (laughs) And with both my husband and I being educators, we thought we knew what to do. We were educated people. We thought we knew all the answers, but we just had struggles with big behaviors with siblings and a lot of big trouble at school, which my husband's now an assistant principal. And so there's that with me running for the sake of one and him being an assistant principal, there's that pressure of we're supposed to know what we're doing, but we don't. It's a different world. And there's just not, I mean, there's more and more trauma education now. We're in a very rural town in Texas and there's not a whole lot of knowledge out there about what trauma does. So when he was seven, he was diagnosed with autism. And that actually was super, super helpful because that's a diagnosis people can recognize. Even uninformed and trauma informed people recognize autism. And so that got us a lot of help in school. Didn't necessarily make things go away, but we also went through TBRI camp, we're able to go to TBRI camp with him and where he was like the whole Dr. Purvis, where he was with a buddy and we were learning and that changed our mindsets and helped our healing journey. And then I think I heard you talk for the first time at Build East in, I don't know, 2021, maybe. I think it was right after COVID. Was it the year we still had masks? We, saw, we all had masks on. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Just hearing about blocked care was like, oh, okay. So I'm not just a crazy, horrible person that doesn't like my child. So that's where it's kind of where we are. Our journey was not, I think I answered more than you just asked, but our journey was, was not what we expected. I would just want to back up to something you said, you know, you talked about your roles in the community and kind of feeling really visible and having that pressure of kid, like it's not even just the pressure to know what you're doing. It's like the pressure for your kids to behave like proper, like because we're supposed to know what we're doing, then we should be able to create or raise children who behave appropriately or don't embarrass us, you know, <laughs> exactly. in our roles or whatever. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Like, is that like an internal sense of like, you know, imagining what people are saying? Have you had experiences where people have been more like, where it's been more concretely <laughs> evident that people are having certain expectations? Because I grew up as a pastor's kid or like a youth pastor's kid. And I feel like there are a lot of similarities, you know, pastors feel towards how their families are. And of course, we're an adoptive family through multiple generations. So my parents were raising kids that came to them through adoption. and We didn't know anything about trauma, but in hindsight, we had a lot of trauma behaviors. I think for my parents, it felt much more visible or on display than maybe it did for, you know, the average layperson in our church. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you have, do you want to share a little bit more about that? I, for us, it has more been like self-imposed. We haven't had, we have had difficulties at church and difficulties just with how we've had to advocate for him a whole lot 
through the schools and everywhere we go. But all of my kids, because if you look at like the trauma indicators, all of my kids are trauma kids. One was in the NICU, one had a stressful pregnancy, even my bio kids. So we haven't gotten like people saying to us that our kids should be better behaved. We've gotten looks that we have read to be like, why are your kids acting like this? Who knows if that's what they were thinking, but that's how we read them. So I'm a TBRI practitioner now and I lead trainings and I feel like there's spiritual warfare there too. And every time I'm about to do a big TBRI training, my kids lose their ever loving minds. And (laughs) (laughs) it's a inner battle of why on earth could you train someone else if you can't even get your kids together? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I think there are a lot of folks who listen to the podcast who are in leadership in some way, shape or form, whether it be their churches or their community leaders, like a teacher or they're running a local support group or they are running a book group or something to support foster and adoptive families. And I think a lot of us have moments like that where we think like, who am I to be? I spend a lot of time like reassuring people that, you know, Lisa and I are not like we haven't arrived. Like we're, there's nothing special about us except that we (laughs) have for whatever reason been called to share all our stuff and, you know, in public that we're still in the thick of it. We're still facing similar parenting challenges. We're still, you know, bouncing in and out of blocked care. We're, we're doing the same work that we're asking you all to do. You know, no one has arrived. <laughs> no, no, yeah. not until heaven someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel that like my husband and I set out to write a marriage book for foster and adoptive families like five years ago. And literally every time we work on it, like I feel like our marriage is going to fall apart. So it has yet to be published. So same thing. Like every time I get it, like there's something about the like that it's just, it, yeah, just to put you in your, you know, to keep us humble, keep us at our yeah. place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> before you knew what blocked care was, before you knew it had a name, what were you experiencing? internally or personally that made it such a relief to know that blocked care existed and it had a name. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think the like worst of mine was during COVID shutdown, which I, the farther removed we are from that, the more I realized that wasn't just me because people are actually talking about it. But at the time I was in complete emotional meltdown had my kids at home all day, every day, and was trying to work from home. And my husband was still going to the school. And so I had all three boys that we had at the time home. It was not, my son's behaviors were big. And so I was just ready to be done, completely done. I would go on walks in the neighborhood crying. And because, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sure my neighbors all thought I was this crazy person walking around the neighborhood crying. Um, I don't know. They're probably thinking like, I wish I could be out there walking and crying too. (laughs) I mean, I've never seen so many of my neighbors in my life. Like we live in a neighborhood that's not like super connected. And I've literally never seen so many of the people from my neighborhood that as I did during COVID, like it was like everyone called out of the woodworks and started walking. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And our neighborhood is pretty connected. We have like a small little neighborhood, but 
they're mostly, there's like four families with kids. The rest of them are older. And so (laughs) it's just a little bit different lifestyle. (laughs) But I was feeling like, I know I made this commitment to him for life, but this wasn't what I planned on. Like, how do I get out of this? Just that it was too hard and I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't normal to, because I had friends and sisters who had biological kids and they weren't thinking that about their kids, or at least I didn't know that they were. And I just felt like, like maybe if we just send him away or I don't know, I was just, I was ready to be done completely. And it wasn't just sometimes it was all the time. Yeah. As we learn more and more about block care and, you know, sometimes we get questions around, is this block care? Is this not block care? And I think, you know, anytime we're having trouble feeling care, towards someone like I think that's you know a flavor a piece of blocked care but then when you think about you know sometimes we talk about behaviors this way like frequency intensity and duration right Mm -hmm. and that kind of helps us evaluate or assess like how or if we think about how much it's impacting like our day-to-day life our relationships if you have blocked care at a really hard moment with your kid and then you are able to come back into connection and maybe that only happens for a couple minutes every day or you know for an hour a week or something then that's i think just being human right mm-hmm. and not that more intense block care isn't human right we're all like our nervous right. systems are all trying to help us survive but i think when you get to that place where the amount of block care that you're experiencing then starts to lead to like that feeling of hopelessness or like done, you know, the end of your rope. then, yeah, then it's, it gets really, really tricky and it gets really, really hard. And I think there's for a lot of people, there's a lot of shame. Like you mentioned, you know, I'm not like, I felt like I was a horrible person or I wasn't normal. I think a lot of folks can relate to that. So once you heard about block care, and understood what it was, what were you able to change? Like, what are the things that have helped you overcome block care? Is your adoption journey turning out differently than you imagined? You had so much love to give, but now you feel ashamed and bewildered by your lack of compassion. You may be experiencing blocked care, a self-protective mechanism in your nervous system that makes it difficult to connect with your child and maintain compassion. When this happens, it's like your heart seems to have left the relationship. But the good news is you are not a bad parent. You can heal from blocked care and compassion can be rekindled in your heart. This episode is sponsored by our book, Reclaim Compassion, the Adoptive Parent's Guide to Overcoming Blocked Care with Neuroscience and Faith. This practical and powerful guide offers a simple step-by-step process for reclaiming compassion for your child and yourself. Included in the book is a blocked care assessment, which is now free to you, our listeners. You can take the assessment at reclaimcompassion.com slash assessment. Yeah. So the very first thing I remember helping is I remember you told us to find our first picture of our kid um, and put it on our lock screen of our phone. So I did that. Um, 
at field. I found the very first picture of when he came home, just tiny baby, and put that on my lock screen. And anytime I would get frustrated, I would just look at that picture. And that was kind of the start of it. You also talked about taking care of yourself. And that was something I had not, like, that is probably the biggest game changer for me. And that's what I tell everyone. It's not selfish. It Self-care is not selfish. Like you, you have to take care of yourself. Uh, so I think the two biggest helpers for me were just remembering his preciousness from when he was little, seeing the good things in him, and then really, really actually taking care of myself. And what that looked like for me was I now have, let me think, two different text threads with other trauma mamas who are like, we can just shoot off a message. One of them the other day was like, I think I'm in blocked care with my husband. Is that a thing? So if you have any tips for that, just let me know. And then I also have no three, three different groups. And one of them is friends from high school. One of them is friends that we've never met, but our husbands have. And <laughs> so they are, they like supported each other and we we're like, all right, we need to get in on these too. And then another one is local friends here in town. Um, and just being able to have those people who really, really get it and are living it every day. I have other friends who are amazing friends, but I don't tell them all the ins and outs of all the hards because they're not living it. And so they can be empathetic, but they're still not going to completely understand it. And I think that that was hugely helpful for me. And then I also started exercising. I just kind of lost taking care of myself. And so now I like have completely changed myself. Weirdly, I don't know what's happened. My husband's like, I don't even know who you are anymore because I get up super early and go run before the sun's up with friends. And that's what it is. I'm an Enneagram seven and I need the people. So if they're getting up at five to go run, I will get up at five to go run. <laughs> and you and just completed your first half marathon, right? Did I see that on social or a full a something? You completed a something. I did. It was my eighth half marathon. Oh, your eighth. Okay. Sorry. I did <laughs> not mean to not give you credit for the first seven. <laughs> that's amazing. Over how, like how many, how many have you done since? blocked care since 2021? Well, I've done, I've done three so far this year and I'm doing another one this weekend. The one this weekend is the one that I've like been training hard for that I'm trying to actually run fast. Yeah. But I did before having kids, I ran five of those half marathons and then just kind of quit when life was hard. And so since really like getting through blocked care, I guess, but I've done three more of them and they were all this year. So yeah. Yeah. Just that's amazing. Back in. <laughs> I, I think you hit on a couple of things that are really important. One, a lot of times it's easier to like go back to something that we knew brought us joy or that we loved like in our previous lives. Right. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's great to pick up something completely new but sometimes there's something like familiar about that thing. And so if you were a runner before you had kids like to pick that up again, like your brain mm -hmm. already knows, like is already conditioned to, you know, how that makes you feel. Um, yeah. I think knowing yourself and knowing what motivates you. So I'm a lot like you. I will do almost anything if it's in a group, <laughs> but like, 
even if it's something I adore, if I'm not doing it with other people, like it probably won't happen, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I was not the COVID person who like was like, Oh, I can just do my gym membership on my phone. Like I am not going to work out by myself in my house, Mm-mm. even if they're like, I'm on a video with other people. Like I have, but if I sign myself up for a class, like, or tell people I'm going to meet them, like I'm going to show up, even if it's yep. like a dark thing, Same. you know, like even if it's, you know, not, doesn't sound fun on paper. So I think that matters because if you had just decided, like, I'm going to just start running by myself in the morning, it's very possible that you would have, you know, maybe made one of those appointments with yourself and then bailed on on many more. (laughs) And so I think, you know, knowing and I think listening to our bodies, like I had a, a lot higher tolerance for harder physical things 10 years ago, you know, like. I was training in Taekwondo and I was doing triathlons and like, now I'm like, just give me a good yoga class. <laughs> you know, like my, <laughs> you know, like I have to kind of listen to my body and, and like, I've been doing a lot of just like walking, which isn't super hard, right? Like, like I'm really consistent with it. I know I can be really consistent, but it's not like, you know, I know it's not, you know, revolutionizing my like physicality or anything. No, um, but it's moving. It's moving. You know, I like a good yoga class, but like just recently I was like, you know what? I feel like my body needs something a little bit more intense. I have no idea how long the season's going to last, but I like, I was like, I think I'm going to pick up like bar Pilates. Like, or like mm-hmm. I joined my husband for a run yesterday. I literally haven't run like five years, but like, I felt like I needed something like a little bit more. Like I was like, I have this like desire to like lift weight, not like big, you know, but like do some kind of like weight, something like something more intense. So I think the gift of paying attention to like, you know, if your body's just craving movement, like just get some kind of movement in and then start paying attention to like what kind of movement, those types of things. Definitely. I mean, and even like yesterday, my, all the children were arguing with me and and I was just kind of done. I think my husband had gone up to take a shower and I, I mean, my kids are old enough that I can just walk out of the house um, and they're fine. But I just was like, all right, I'm sorry. I'm done. I have to go on a walk around the neighborhood. And that's what I did. I put my headphones on and listened to some Shane and Shane and just got myself centered again. And just knowing like my own coping mechanisms has been huge because before I think learning about blocked care, it was so 100% 100 centered on my child, fixing my child and not figuring out how to deal with myself. And like, I don't really think I learned how to self-regulate until I was like 36 and I'm 39. And so learning to be in control of myself and learning like what I need to do to take care of myself has been huge in coming through that blocked care. Also, there's, there's definitely times where I am still in that, like, I feel done, but it's, not and and I think that I posted in your y'all's group one time. Is it normal? Does anyone else cycle in and out of blocked care? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was like a resounding. Everyone was like, "Yes, yes." I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm glad I'm not the only one. So many people, and I I just remember that frequently now when I am like, "I'm why am I done with my kid again?" But it's like you just said a second ago. It's the like in a behavior, it's not in life. It's not all the time. It's just like, he's being super difficult right now. And so I'm done right now, but I can still see the amazingness in him and see 
the child that I want him to be. Yeah. So you would say like the frequency of how often you feel Blot's care with him is less, maybe the intensity in the moment. Like even if you're still feeling like frustrated or done, you're saying like deep down inside, you can still like reach for that pressure, you know, like yes, reach for that, you know, we call it reclaiming compassion for your child. Intensity. What did I say earlier? Intensity, duration, duration, of frequent frequency, intensity, and duration. And then like how long it lasts, like how resilient are you to being able to take the walk, go for a run, mm-hmm. do something that helps you kind of bounce back out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm able to now, like just the other day, he was bouncing off the walls and that's what he does when he's anxious he just he gets super energized when he's anxious doesn't like shut down like you typically think of anxiety but he just like super energy and so I took him outside he also is always building forts always and so he had a fort outside and just went and got in it with him and I was like like what are you afraid of what what are you afraid of right now and I didn't used to see be able to like find the need behind the behavior find the like why the I, I had been, I think, looking for maybe a need, but not necessarily like the fear. What are you afraid of? And he was able to tell me that like he didn't know the schedule for the day and didn't know when he was going to get to see family and all of these different things. And we were able to talk through it. Whereas before I would have just, I think, been like, quit bouncing off the walls. I'm done with you. You're done. Instead of going to try to like be curious about that behavior and find out what was going on. <laughs> what you're describing is you know, we call it, you mentioned self-care. We call it nervous system care in the book, mostly because a lot of people are resistant to like self-care because it does feel selfish and self-centered. And the purpose of that nervous system care is for us to have more margin in our own nervous systems. I read recently that like resilience towards stress and trauma a lot of times is defined by how in control the person experiencing the stress or trauma feels. And so like you talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, like what you can control, like you can't control the craziness in your house necessarily, but you can go out for, you know, you happen to have the support system and your kids are ages where you can take control of yourself and be like, okay, I know that if I go for a walk, you know, a 20 minute walk around the neighborhood, I'll come back better. A better mom, a better person, mm-hmm. you know, more regulated. And so even just that little bit, that little mindset shift is like, oh, I have something I can control in this situation. Mm-hmm. And that in itself changes your resiliency towards things that are out of your control. And then as you're mentioning, like when your kid's bouncing off the walls, whereas if you you know, if you didn't have that strong sense of self-regulation, that makes us feel crazy inside. And then we lose our thinking brain, right? Our connection. Mm -hmm. And then it's just all our brain is screaming to us is like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. (laughs) Right. And so then we say to our kids, oh my God, you know, like for the love of all things, like sit down and shut up or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. But like what you're talking about, when you care for your own nervous system, you get your own resilience. So now your kid's bouncing off the walls. And instead of like that ramping up your own anxiety, you're able to like anchor in to your own 
sense of regulation and be able to tell your brain like i'm not going to die this is not actually a dangerous situation sometimes right sometimes our kids put us in actual dangerous situations but in this situation right, right you're like able to be like okay he's just a little hyper you can stay regulated and mm -hmm. you can think like all the things that you just said like oh maybe it's his anxiety maybe we could use some nature maybe if i get into his space you know and then maybe if i ask him this question and then all of a sudden you're through it without escalating it or without you both feeling like you're gonna die <laughs> exactly yeah and every time it doesn't happen every single time i mean there's times where i still lose it and and <laughs> where i still explode but then we come back from it and connect again so great what would you tell someone who's listening who's the one asking like can it and can it ever get better am i stuck here what words of encouragement would you have i would say yes it can get better it could get worse before it gets better mm. but it can get better and like really the number one thing i think is doing that nervous system care i have a lot of friends who tell me like i can't go anywhere with my kid without my kids going with me they even go to the bathroom with me but i have had to build those boundaries like yesterday when i was upset and needed to go for a walk literally i got to the street and the 17 year old came and was like hey i need to ask you a question and then the five-year-old and eight-year-old were like can i go with you and i was like no right now I have to take care of my nerve. I didn't say take care of my nervous system because I don't know that language. <laughs> I said, right now I need to go walk by myself. And previously, or, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's neglecting your kids, but it's not. Or not even neglecting, not like, especially because we're talking to an audience that has kids with abandonment issues, right? And we're talking, right. and we have connected parenting because I, I know i thought this for a long time like connected yeah. parenting meant like if my kids want to connect i have to always say yes and if i say no i would like to walk by myself then i'm what if i what if i trigger all of their abandonment issue right like i don't want to be contributing to their trauma right and so we like sacrifice mm -hmm. our own self-care nervous system care on the altar of connection exactly definitely and i think that when i when i first understood like all of the trauma parenting and connected parenting i was sacrificing myself way too much just like saying yes to everything connecting all the time and i think that's part of what led to the deep blocked care was that i was just like it's not getting any better and i'm doing all the things i'm supposed to be doing but i wasn't taking care of myself still and so we just my husband and I both, like we've seen how to get through it and seen how much both of us have to take care of ourselves. And so we have like an understanding if he tells me he's a runner too. And if he tells me I just need to go run, then it's like, even unless I'm like more flipped than him at the time, <laughs> um, <laughs> then it's like, okay, that's fine. I'll just ha handle the fires. But just knowing that like we we have to take care of our we have to take time for ourselves even if the kids are knocking on the door the entire time you're going to the bathroom that's just like there's boundaries connected parenting doesn't mean physically together 100 percent of the time yeah excellent well 
Angela, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for taking time, for making this happen. For those of you listening, Angela literally is sitting in her car talking to us because <laughs> her house is a construction zone. <laughs> so yeah, we appreciate your willingness to share your story. And then also for all you do locally for families in that Texas area for, for the sake of one, I have the privilege of being at the retreat y'all put together and just watching you guys in action and caring for moms and I'm guessing whole families in that area as they you know live out this life raising kids with complex needs complex trauma and helping them all to be better versions like we're all better versions of ourselves on this journey because our kids challenge us to be better and do better. And so just, I'm really grateful for your friendship um, and for your willingness to be here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. And if anyone is needing that self-care, our Connect Retreat is next year. Signups are live and it's the 23rd through 25th of February and Kayla North is our speaker this year. And so it's going to be even more pampering and the focus is rest. So mm, love that. So excited. tell folks where they can, if they're, Anywhere close to East Texas, whether you want to fly across the country to come to the retreat or if you're just in the area and are like, man, I didn't know that there was help and support in this area, where can folks find you? You can find us on all social media. It's just for the sake of one, Texarkana, like all, no numbers, just all words. And then our website is for the sake of one, um, dot com. And so you can contact us there. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much. And you're a good mom doing good work. Thanks. I tell people that now too. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our Instagram handle is at AdoptionWise. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at AdoptionWise.org slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. Remember, you're a good parent doing good work. Music for the podcast is composed by Alexandra Alexandrov.